This is Mila. I'm Erica. And today is Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. Not really, but when you hear it, it will be. (laughs) (laughs) It's Sunday, bitches. (laughs) It's actually Sunday. Our kids are in the other room playing uh, with Jamila's parents. They are the babysitters of the day. I don't even know. They might be louder with the two parents supervising than they are normally. I know. They're both extremely tired. Um, we've endured, at least my daughter. Luna's so much, like, what? why is my kid so crazy? No, Luna acts crazy, too. She just... I mean, not crazy. It's just uh, these tantrums. I know. And when I was out of town, I kept asking, like, my mom or my grandma, how are the tantrums going? I was like, what tantrums? She doesn't, they don't, she doesn't have tantrums with me. You think she's only doing it with you? No, I don't. I just think that's what my parents like to tell me, because they're like, I don't know. When she's here, she's a perfect angel. I don't know what you're doing back home. Do you think she's getting spoiled by that? I probably... She probably doesn't have tantrums because she doesn't have to have them because she she gets everything she she wants. wants. And then as soon as she starts, they're like, here, here, yeah. Mm. Luna is definitely in a phase where I'm I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm not against violence to children. (laughs) However, I'm starting to believe... Well, you are against violence? I'm against it, but in (laughs) Luna's case, I think she she needs a little pow-pow. Because she's super grown and sassy, and she's, like, rolling her eyes, and she's, she's hitting, like, trying to hit me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> but not that I condone child abuse, but you know what I mean? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, today we have a special guest. Very near and dear to me. I'm very happy you're here. I'm happy um, to be here. We have writer, author, screen playwright, actress, model, Artivist mm-hmm. Lisa Jesse Peterson, also um, like my aunt. She's <laughs> my mom's high school friend. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they went to high school together. Oh, yeah, that's my best friend. Oh my goodness. Like my godmother. Yeah, yeah wow. exactly. That's my niece. Yes. Oh my this is my auntie, my aunt Lisa. Um, she has been in the arts since I can remember. I remember like in high school, I, my mom took, we went to New York and we went to go see it. Um, one of your one woman plays then, and I, I was remember. like blown away. It's like so inspired by that. So and you know, now look at you taking acting classes. I know. Yes, I take credit for that. I took fifteen years to cultivate. No, actually, when I, I was when Jamila went to see your show, she called me afterwards because it was in Harlem, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we both happened to be in New York at the time, and she was like, "I just saw this amazing show, one woman show. I didn't even know one woman show could exist. Like, how does one put on a one a show with one person? But it it was it worked and it was amazing." Mm-hmm. And she was super excited about it. So yes. I'm really excited to go to your show on Tuesday. Yes. And if you guys are in the L.A. area on Tuesday. Well, this will be out 
Oh shit, we're gonna be. We already po- okay. We posted it on. You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't there, or you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> but you should. But you should definitely follow follow uh, Lisa because you can find out whenever she's performing, and you perform in a bunch of in New York mm-hmm. generally. But um, one of the players now touring nationally. So. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that you. So the first stop is DC. Okay, so that's the first stop mm-hmm. of a national tour. Mm-hmm. Dope. So tell tell everyone where they can. Well, find no, the, actually, the first stop just happened uh, a few months ago in Boston. Oh. I so I went from Harlem to Boston, and now it's going to um, Woolly Mammoth in DC. Dope. And yeah. how long were you in Boston? Three weeks. Okay, so you're gonna do generally about three weeks in each. Yeah. Try and do three yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. The runs generally about two and a half to three weeks. Are you gonna come here for that? Peculiar I hope week? so. I hope so too. I hope so. I you hope know, so I've, you know, my uh, uh, project manager. He's working on making some, you know, connections out here in LA and hopefully make it work. Project manager. Yeah, Brad. <laughs> Brad, <laughs> we we want the peculiar patriot in LA. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your Instagram? Uh, Lisa Jesse Peterson. That's Lisa with a Z, not an <laughs> yes. S. Okay, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, and your website? Uh, Lisa Jesse J E S S I E. Make sure there's an I in Jesse. Lisa Jesse P dot com. Cool. Dope. Um, so most recently, I mean, outside of your one woman show, you uh, released a book. All day. That was also featured on Sunday's book club reading. It's going to be on the website, so anybody who wants to um, go check it out, there'll be a summary. We highly recommend it, and where you can find it on our on our website too. Yay! Um, but tell us about it. So my book is called All Day: A Year of Love and Survival, Teaching Incarcerated Kids at Rikers Island, and it chronicles uh, one particular year. So I've been working at Rikers Island for 20 years. I started in 1998. And the book takes place, um, the time frame is from 2008 to 2009. So within the 20 year span that I was working at Rikers Island in different capacities, there was one particular year where I was asked to teach full time, to be a full time school teacher um, teaching GED. So prior to that, I had been a teaching artist, a reentry specialist, working with them when they come home. Um, so I've never worked with them in that capacity. So this was a really specific and particular and unique year out of all the years that I've worked at um, Rikers Island. So it was so, um, wow. It was so different and so challenging um, and just so uh, <laughs> wild that while I was working, because my, my day started at 7.50 a.m. in the morning, and I had to leave my house at um, 5.30 a.m. just to get to Rikers. And so I'm an artist, so I'm, I'm wired differently, you know. Mm, that than, conformity was not. You late? Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, were you late? Yes. No, I was not late, but but it definitely made me had to switch on another it's kind of. Like a structure. A, a different structure. kind of gear in my mind, mm-hmm. in my head, and so you know, my, my artist was struggling to survive was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a creative pulse. And so the only way that I could, you know, kind of make sense of what was happening in the world that I had just entered, because I'm there from 7.50 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. in the same classroom with the same boys all day. The bell doesn't ring. They don't change classes. I'm there. and I teach all, I teach all the subjects. Wow. So. And wait, and for those listeners who are not familiar, Rikers Island is a prison. It's a jail. It's a jail. Jail. Oh, jail. Okay, Mm -hmm. not a prison. Yeah. Okay. It's a jail. I think it's one of the largest in New York, uh, in in the country. 
You, oh, I, yeah. Do you have to take a ferry? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, no, you don't have to take a ferry, but you do have to take a bus yep. over the bridge. Okay. So it literally is surrounded by water. Okay. So that's why Rikers Island. Mm -hmm. um, so the only way that I could make sense of what was happening and just kind of, I don't know, just keep some kind of pulse for my artist was I came home every day after work and I would just download in my journal because I've always been a journal writer. I write in my journal all the time. Mm -hmm. So when I would come home from work, it would just be, I'm absorbing so much that I had to download. So I would write in my journal. Now I had no idea that my journal was going to become my book because I wasn't Doing in the, the class, I'm thinking, oh, this would be a great book, and this would be a great story. Like, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in the trenches. I'm fighting with these boys. I'm just, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so the journal was something that just helped me to really kind of release, to make room for, in my head and my spirit to go in the next day mm -hmm. with a clean slate. So about a year after I left Rikers Island, I literally just picked up Oh, there I am with no makeup. See, you didn't tell me I was going to be recorded. So I yes, had I no did. makeup on. And this look, is just and lip gloss. And look, it's still so, gloss. So, oh, okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So look at the lips. Don't look at anything else. <laughs> so, um, um, being vain because I'm, I'm, I'm in L.A. Because I'm in L.A. Welcome to the jungle. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> so um, about a year after... I finished, uh, did that, that stint at Rikers Island working in that capacity. I picked up my journal just randomly. You know how sometimes you go back over mm -hmm, your journals mm -hmm. and you just kind of want to flip through and see what you're I did going that through. Yeah, like, you just kind of, exactly. You kind of <laughs> like taking a uh, look back in your life to see where you were at that time emotionally, spiritually, and what was going on. Mm -hmm. So I opened up the journal and it, and it was one of the days that I had downloaded um, from working in the classroom and it made me laugh. I'm like, oh my God, I remember that shit. And I turned the page and it made me laugh some more. I was like, oh my God. And I kept turning the page and I realized in this that moment that I had chronicled my entire year working at Rikers Island. I said, oh my God, I wrote my book. Mm. But I, in the time, but when I was in the classroom, when yeah, I was, you weren't thinking I wasn't way. thinking it's a book. This was the only way that I could survive and just have some kind of, you know, sanity mm -hmm. and some kind of creative post to make room to just be creative, which I was not because I wasn't performing, I wasn't you thought, writing. You thought you were not. I thought I wasn't, but what I was doing, I was like a sponge, so I was absorbing, mm -hmm. you know, which is what we artists do. We're antennas, we're sponges, we absorb, mm -hmm. and then we download, we process, and then we, release. you know, release in whatever way we do, whether it's, you know, music or singing or dancing or writing or acting, mm -hmm. and so I was literally absorbing everything and kind of squeezing it out on my journal, mm -hmm. and my journal was like, oh, I'm here for you, <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Um, so, I'm sure that was a life-altering experience. It was, <laughs> and you'll get it, and, and it's and it's and it's definitely in the book, and it's in the show that you're going to come see on Wednesday, which the people who are listening will have missed it Tuesday. I'm sorry, Tuesday. Thank you. Tuesday. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, that that's the so you'll get an idea. You'll see I'll be performing excerpts of me in the classroom with the boys and what that was like. And How did you even get the job at Rikers? Like, what led you to Rikers? So, um, my introduction to Rikers Island, which was my introduction to the prison industrial complex, um, was in 1998. And I was asked to teach a poetry workshop. Um, at the time, there were a bunch of nonprofit, not a bunch, but there were several nonprofit organizations, and they would um, get 
artists, writers, poets, and they would send them out to the different um, public schools throughout the different five boroughs to do artist workshops, poetry workshops, you know, music workshops, because the schools didn't have money. So, so the nonprofits, yeah. right, provided that, okay. you know, that service. And because I was already in the spoken word scene and I was doing my thing and I was making a name for myself, you know, the New York Poets Cafe, shout out to New York Poets Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the nonprofit asked me to come and, you know, be a teaching artist. And the very first job I got was um, teaching poetry workshops to incarcerated adolescent boys at Rikers Island. Now, it was supposed to be a three-week workshop because that's how teaching artist gigs work. You go somewhere, you, you're teaching artists for a couple weeks, mm-hmm. and then they give you another job or, you know, they'll, they'll find another school. So I thought I was going to, um, well, A, I didn't know that I was going to Rikers Island because the name of the school was called Island Academy. Oh, mm. damn. So, Can you imagine, like, just going to another school? Oh, wait, no. Exactly. So oh. I thought I was going to, like, a prep school, like an academy. Right. <laughs> Literally, oh, yeah. I was surprised. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, Rikers Island. And so um, the three-week workshop turned into three months because the teachers kept asking me. So the teacher next door was like, oh, I want her next. And the teacher next door, oh, I want her next. And so they kind of passed me around like a hot potato because there was such a great response from Mm -hmm. the boys Mm -hmm. that all the teachers wanted to have the the cool poetry lady come and do their class next. So my three-week stint, they kept booking me at that same school. Mm -hmm. So I became the teaching artist in residence at Rikers Island for three months, which turned into three years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I had a relationship developed with um, Island Academy. So the vice principal at the time when I was a teaching artist in 1998, he later became the principal. Um, So when he was a principal back in, in, in 2008, he was like, hey, I know you. We, I know you. you. You work well with this population. We need a substitute. Come in. Can you cover for a year? Mm-hmm. And I think he'd be great because you're already a writer, so you'd be great you know, doing English, language arts. And I said, sure. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Right. No idea. It was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. How many students were in a class? About 25. And then is there like a, a, like a, a correction officer there the whole time? Uh, they're supposed to be, but there wasn't always. Are they understaffed? No, um, they weren't understaffed, but to toot my own horn. <laughs> you had those, you had it, you had it together. I kind of had it on lock, so they would just kind of poke their heads in, okay. and I was one of those classrooms where they didn't have to come and monitor and babysit. They would just kind of check in, make sure she's all right, okay, Miss P, she got under control, she's cool. And so I was kind of one of the classrooms, and there were other classrooms like that, but you know, there were some that needed a CO in there all the time because the teacher was, you know, just didn't. So have gradually, it you got more and more comfortable with your students, and so you didn't feel like it was a threat. Like you didn't feel scared. You were well. I was never scared, mm-hmm. so I was never scared. So when I say it was terrifying, it was terrifying in the sense that I didn't think that I was going to be a great educator because I know how to write, I know how to speak the king's English, but to teach it. Now I've got to teach the mechanics. That's a whole no different, different thing. That's a whole different thing. So yeah, I know grammar structure and and, and you know sentence you know um, context, but to teach it, it was like oh shit, I've got to go back and relearn the mechanics so I can teach it, even though I know it instinctively. Right. You know what I mean. But now I've got to bre- now I've got to be able to break it down and make it accessible for students so that they can now do what I do kind of effortlessly. Mm-hmm. And that's 
what was terrifying. Yeah. And social studies, I was like, oh my God, the branches of government. Like, I forgot, I forgot all that yeah. shit. So, but I've got to be able to teach this and I've got to relearn it. So I was terrified because I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to suck as an educator. And my job is to teach them. So that was that was the fear of not being a okay. good educator, not for my safety. I feel like I feel, have that fear daily as a parent. Oh yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, so funny. I can relate. Literally today, Jamila, I was, I, Irie, I was, I was telling her, I was like, I, I was like, this is unacceptable. Do you know what unacceptable means? And she's like, no. What does it mean? And then I was like, wait. I know what it means. So how do I've never been right. like, how exactly. to defi- how is the definition right. of that? And I was right. like, it means. I don't happy. like it. So you have to learn how to dissect everything down to its like you know root. Yeah, it's like it means I don't like it. No, I was like that's not what it. I need to get deeper. Yeah, exactly. Like I need to get deeper. I feel like I'm constantly challenged, to, you know, by her when she's asking me questions, and she's only three, so I can only imagine as an educator when you have teenagers asking. For damn, they're adults, and of course they're little assholes. And the teenagers like, are narcissistic gremlins. Yeah, and yeah. like so, they're challenging you daily. Like, well, what does that mean? But tell me what that. And you, and you're like, well, damn. Like, it keeps you. On, I had to keep you on your toes. You yeah. probably oh learned more than they, more about. We went back and relearned so much stuff that you yeah. learned in school. Absolutely. And and more. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. They made me earn my stripes. <laughs> yeah, every stripe I have, I got from those boys. <laughs> um, you met. You, you mentioned a word earlier. You said when you first went, you had. You, it was your first introductory to prison... Industrial complex. What does that mean? Um, so the prison industrial complex, which is now known as mass incarceration, it's okay. the same thing. Okay. So it's mass incarceration because it's an industry. It's a whole system. Mm-hmm. Um, like the uh, military industrial complex. Okay. It's an industry, the military industry. Right. So the prison, prison is an industry. Mm-hmm. And it's a national industry in this country. So speaking of that, Erica and I did some brief research before you came. I'm oh, sure. Look at you. <laughs> Google sure. mommies. Yeah, Google we mommies. did. We were low key crying. We were crying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because we know, we I, of course I know that like you know prison reform is something that's you know been you know so many politicians you know push for against it because it's in their best interest. It's feeding their pockets and um, it's just so like I don't see an end to it. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's fucking crazy. Um, because there's too much money in it, mm-hmm. and it's sort of the new slavery. So sort of, many, it, it is. is. It is in it so is. many ways, you know, for, for minorities. And so let's read a couple of the statistics we found. <laughs> um, one is that the U.S. makes up five percent of the global global population and has twenty five percent of the world's prison population. There's two point three million people in prison today, right now, and we only make up five percent of the global population. Right. So it means a lot of motherfuckers are locked up. <laughs> Here, specifically. Specifically, yeah. No, more US. than anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and please, if you have anything to add. Well, the United States is the prison superpower of the planet. Damn. That sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's true. What else is in here? Oh, in 2012, U.S. spent $81 billion on corrections. Uh, what's this? Do your other statistics. Oh, and as far as like the budget for education is $64 billion, which is... Obviously, it's offset by this eighty billion dollar budget. So it's like they're they're spending so much money on on prison and spending less on the education for these mm-hmm. for these for these young men and women mm-hmm. um, to try to understand why it is they're going to prison. Well, a lot of them are for stupid crimes that aren't that shouldn't be they shouldn't be in prison for or in jail for for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was telling Jamila, I was like, so many of these 
kids that are in jail are in jail for things that I have done so many times. Mm -hmm. That could be me, except mm -hmm. I didn't get caught. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like in jail for like 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 with Khalif Broder, like stealing a backpack. Um, which he did not do. Exactly, which he didn't even and do. He, and, and no, despite mm -hmm. the fucked up circumstances that he faced, he refused to and to say he was guilty. Right, he, he didn't want to take the plea. Which is a whole, like, we'll talk about him specifically if you guys haven't heard of him. Um, but um, also, we're talking about, you know, prison, the prison system mimicking slavery because African American and Hispanics make up only 32% of the U.S. population, but they make up 56% of the incarcerated population which that was 2015 statistics so we're smaller in numbers but somehow filling primarily filling the prisons which to me says we're being targeted and um if if what do they say if blacks and hispanics were incarcerated at the same rate as caucasians the prison there would be four the, the population would decrease 40 percent mm -hmm. Meaning, if it was equal, if the shit if was, was right, actually right, fair, right, right. if shit was actually fair, right. like it should be, you know, then it would decrease by 40%. So that's why we think that it mimics slavery a lot. And it's just like a legal way of um, allowing it, the shit to happen, you know, free labor. Are you familiar with the 13th Amendment? The documentary. Or just well, the, the, or what, just the 13th what the memory. Actual, right, because the 13th. The film, the documentary by Ava DuVernay, which is brilliant, which everyone should watch on and Netflix. study uh, on Netflix. Yeah, um, the thirteenth is from the thirteenth. It means the thirteenth amendment, right. and the thirteenth amendment, which is in the Constitution, um, says that slavery is illegal except for punishment of a crime, which means that if you commit a crime, then that 13th Amendment does not cover you, so that slavery is legal mm -hmm. if you are convicted of a crime. And um, right after um, the Emancipation Proclamation, right, right after slavery ended, um, there was, you know, the, the slave owners, right, they needed, uh, they needed workers, they needed people to continue, they, they needed to keep the money coming in. Right. So now they have the, their former slaves who can now just walk off and be free. So, But they really can't because they don't have education and they don't have property and they have nowhere to live. <laughs> and, and, and some were okay with that. They were like, well, we're going to make it work however we, we rather work it out however we need to work it out and be free than to stay and be slaves in some state and continue to work. But there was this thing that they, um, that they created called convict leasing. And convict leasing meant that, um, you know, if you were arrested, right, that you could... The, 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 the um, plantation owners, the slave, you know, former slave owners, they could get that you convicts back. and they can lease them out for, to work on the plantation to do the same work that the slave did, but they were now getting the convicts. So they were still doing the same work that the slaves were doing, but now they were getting convicts. So then it was in the best interest for the state and the counties to now have a population of convicts that can then be leased out to the slave, former slave owners. To have basically free labor. To have free labor legally. Mm. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. So convict leasing then replaced what was slavery. So that was the beginning oh. of seeing oh, um, this, the, 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 the prison population grow just and... grow because you could get arrested for anything, for looking white people in the eye. You could get arrested. And mind you, now we have slaves who are, you know, black people, Africans who are now free, who don't have to work under, you know, uh, the, the rules of slavery. Mm -hmm. But now they're being punished 
for not having a job. They're being punished for, you know, these small, what they call, you know, vagancy, vagrancy crimes, you know, loitering, congregating. To a congregating? Well, well, I, mean, I mean, for literally, if you nothing. look at a white man in the eye, you could be arrested for, you know. Well, also a, not knowing this new society's rules because all you've ever known is living on a plantation. Well, there are no rules for, for black people. Well, there's because no rules, any rules but, were but being that's what twisted I'm saying. and bent and, there was, exactly. and it didn't apply exactly. to us. Yeah. So they could say anything they wanted. And any, I mean, any, 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 anything. And who, 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 who gonna check me? Exactly. Who gonna check me? Exactly. So now you have a whole swath of, you know, recently freed, you know, African um, people, former slaves, who are now being swept up um, into this convict, you know, status, who now are being leased back out to as the former slaves. slave, right, and doing the same thing and as, as former slaves. So that was the beginning of um, what has now you know, bloomed into, into two, what we now two call million mass incarceration. <laughs> and the 13th Amendment, which is in the Constitution, makes it legal to have people who are incarcerated work for free. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have so many, you know, businesses and corporations, you know, hire and, and, and they use um, prison labor. And, and don't be confused, guys. Like, if you just do a little bit of research, you'll find that, like, major billion-dollar companies that in reality don't fucking need free labor utilize this free labor. Oh, you'd be... I mean... GE... Airlines, lingerie, Whole... I mean, I'm not going to get into this because... I, because you going to say Whole Foods? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, it, yeah. Really? Yeah, uh, milk, uh, potatoes. I, I mean, I mean, you could just really, if you Google companies Appliances. that use Maybe. slave labor. I mean, uh, yeah, slave, slave labor. Uh, prison labor. Yeah, it's just so crazy. Because, Watermelons, because agriculture, um, Victoria's Secret. Um, you know, phone companies, mm-hmm. furniture, military helmets, microphones. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list. It's sick. It's almost, you know, unimaginable. Probably um, a lot of things in my house right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not yeah, even yeah, knowing, yeah. not yeah. even knowing it. You know, tilapia, you know. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much. That you wouldn't even imagine. That you wouldn't even imagine. That so many major companies and corporations are benefiting from this. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the people who have shares and fucking own private yeah. prisons. Yeah, um, Basically allowing slavery to take place, but in like a hush-hush presentable way yeah yeah uh that's crazy and then this is why guys like i don't fuck with the government (laughs) and i probably never will like i can't trust the government that a enslaved people my ancestors and then twist rules to to benefit them that's why like and just in general i have a lot huge distrust for the government and politicians in general because I don't think any of that shit mm. is cool. And it's it's almost like sugar-coated to make it seem like it's the land of the free and there's just this democracy. And that's why even... Well, a, for some. For some. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't apply to people that look like me, so fuck it. Um, and it's, it's just crazy to me that we... You know, people like to say, primarily people who are not affected by this um, or don't know people who are affected by this. And that was another thing about that for your first The Peculiar Patriot that I really liked. It, it kind of... I didn't recognize this is about like the prison system. How many people, like I know, who have been affected? How I how I personally have been affected by the prison system, mm. and I have s- super scary stories. And I, you know, I come from a pretty. 
decent background. Living in LA, it's not. I don't like have, live in gangster paradise or no shit like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm just like it's just it's it's almost like oh yeah I know this person went to prison this person went to prison like it's just second mm-hmm. second nature mm-hmm. you don't realize it's normalized it's normalized mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I have a, like friends who come by this by like random occurrences and they're like oh, I can't believe this is so unjust or I read the Black Jim Crow I'm like I, I I'm I'm surprised you're shocked. Because this is something that I've, I've known existed for a long time. But it almost is sad for me that I'm numb to it. Numb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are also looking up some other things. So do you know uh, the judge, Mark Chia, Chiaverella? Chiaver- oh, yeah, what's his last name? Chiaverella? Chiaverella, who, the Pennsylvania judge. Oh, yeah, there was a documentary about him, um, Kids for Cash. Yes. Kids for Cash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And basically it was... Um, a judge and a district attorney and also a developer all working together to basically give the judge and the district attorney kickbacks for sentencing kids to their facilities. Yeah, because they have a privately owned facility. Exactly. And the more beds are filled, the more money they were getting. I guess I think in, in total, the three thousand. Yeah. Three thousand kids. Mm-hmm. He sent to jail. Yeah, I talk about that in my play. And, and it's just insane. And how many got expunged after they found him out? Um, two, it was, was 2,400, like two, it was like basically 2,500. Basically 2,500 of those cases were deemed total fucking bullshit lies and yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and just giving him the, the, giving him like the, the max for little shit. And these are like 16 year old kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's this one, we watched this YouTube video of this, of one of the mothers. Once the, once the, this judge was convicted, he got 28 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Which honestly, he deserved the death penalty. I'm sorry. Like you don't have no, to I kill people. No, I think he people. deserves to suffer. You don't have, but I just think it's so funny. Like the death penalty is always regarded for people that are like, who kill people or like rapists, but there's other ways you can fuck someone's life up. Mm-hmm. Like this, this woman, like she was screaming at the top of her lungs and like literally brought tears to my heart thinking about my child. And she was like, you, my, my do you remember me? Do you remember me? You remember my son? Like, you remember my son? He was a star like wrestler. Well, he's dead now. He shot himself in the heart because mm. he was never the same after he came out of that place. Mm. I blame you. He's like, you know, yeah. And he, he was regarded and, and praised for being tough on crime with teenagers. Wow. And so, and was would speak at colleges about it, like how he was so tough. But really, he was tough because he was getting money. Of course. And it's just like, how? He wasn't being tough. He was being cruel. He was being That's cruel. cruel on a different mm-hmm. level. And course. I was trying to find research. Like, what, I, I really wanted to know. I mean, I'm sure I know the answer, unfortunately. But, like, what... Who was more targeted in his in the, in that courtroom with him? I mean, oh, of course. The, the statistics you know, are us. statistics. Us. Yeah, and it's just like us. I couldn't. And that's just one guy that got caught. Well, right. That, that that is the point. That's the thing. He's so one, imagine. So, so imagine many. how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of children and adults who are being railroaded, but it doesn't make it to the news. Because, and a lot of times, unfortunately... That's like, domestic terrorism. Yes, yes. And they all have their hands in the pot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but my biggest thing is, like, I'm such an empath. Like, how the fuck does money dictate your morality on this level? Because like, you don't have morality. How the fuck do you look yourself in the mirror at night? Like, and I'm sure that guy had kids. I'm sure he had, you know, like... It's just, it's... That's, they compartmentalize. It's like, they're not my kids, not my yeah, kids. Yeah, cognitive dissonance. It's like, you can't connect with something that's not happening directly specifically to you it's insane it's so crazy but so with your work that you did in this in in this one year that you were there I mean how what was like what was your first day like Like, my first day was I mean absolute terror not 
for my safety. But Tara, as an educator, like, I know I'm going to suck. These kids are going to see right through it, you know. Yeah, and... that's a long, a lot of hours to be in a group of 25 teenage boys. Are you kidding me? Like, just teenage all Teenage hormonal boys Ugh. who are, like, in jail. It was crazy. Disrespect, um, I'm sure, the disrespect. But and you know they're beautiful, what? so I know they were... Yeah, so they they were crushing yeah. and that kind of shit. So I had to I had to like manage that in the classroom, but you know, I think part of the reason why I was able to um, wield so much respect in the classroom and and I'm really pr- proud to say that throughout the entire year that I was there, I never had any kids pop off in my classroom. Pop off me, I'm using their slang. I, I didn't have any fights in my classroom. Mm. You know, they didn't fight, and which was. Common. Rare. I mean, you Rare, know, you yeah. hear the next classroom, it's like, that's fine. Like, oh, shit. Damn. You know, they're popping off in the next classroom. Right. They never popped off in my classroom. I think part of it was because, you know, I I kept a high standard, and I did a lot of things in my classroom. I made sure the desks were always neat. I was like, I want my rows. Keep it neat. You know, I had aromatherapy, so I had, like, I put, you know, frankincense oil on the desk when it came in because yeah. I wanted to smell a certain way. So just to kind of take them out of that jail yeah. setting. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just even if it's just by the by the smell yeah, and the room, yeah. you know, having to be clean. It wasn't like mumble jumble, all desk all around. Like, no, we're going to have order. You know, mm-hmm. and at first they were like, Miss, this jail. And of course, there was some pushback, but I was like, no, give me my rose. I'm gonna, because I'm walking up and down the roads. I'm not sitting at my desk. I'm walking up and down the roads. I'm making sure that I'm engaging them and I'm keeping the standard high. So, yeah, I'm expecting you to do work. I'm asking you for a five paragraph essay. If you give me three, good. If you give me one, okay. But I'm gonna ask for five. five. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I also, I really, 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 um, made sure that there was always a cultural perspective. I always made them learn about who they were as young African-American men in America and their African lineage and history. So when they looked on the walls, there were pictures of ancient Kemet. Kemet is the African name for Egypt. So they were, they were looking at, you know, old pictures of ancestors of, of Malcolm X, of, of, of Martin, of, you know, Marcus Garvey, of ancient, you know, kings and queens from antiquity. So I had these pictures on the wall and... So they were like, oh, you know, Miss Peace, you on that on that black shit. Yeah, I'm on that black <laughs> shit. But they appreciated it. So because when I taught those lessons about the Black Panthers, they would shush each other because they wanted to hear that. So I'm not giving you the old and, you know, no disrespect. I, you know, look, the, our whole, all of our history, the fact that we are like the most amazing people on this planet, what we endured and what we suffered and what we have survived. continued to, and what we have survived and thrived through. So... I didn't start with, you know, Slavery. Rosa Parks. I didn't start with... <laughs> Slavery. Slavery. And, 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 and listen, salute to, to Rosa's. I'm, no disrespect. No, of but, course. But these are race. young African-American boys, 16, 17, 18. So I had to meet them where they were. So I started with some gangster shit. I started with the Black Panthers and how they carried, you know... Their rifles. Their, their rifles. And stood on, their ground. And stood, and, right. And, and they exercised their Second Amendment rights. So it, just to kind of get them to... to listen to listen and something that would capture their imagination right away. And they were like, oh, really? I was like, yeah. So they wanted to know more about that. Mm-hmm. They didn't know about Malcolm X. They didn't know that he went to prison. Mm-hmm. So right, like, so, he, the, this same man could have been sitting in this very exactly. seat. And you can, and from here on, you can, you can go this way, you can go this exactly. way. But this is not the end of your story, and this is not define you. So I started, so when I, you know, talking about that, and Fred Hampton, and, like, some of, like, our real, you know, like, you know, real revolutionaries, you know, in, in our history, that they could relate to immediately that kind of 
it, it raised the respect level because they were like, oh, she's giving us something that we're not going to get or we haven't gotten. Yeah, right. Oh, this is about me. Oh, I'm like Malcolm. Oh, I'm like Fred Hampton. Oh, I'm, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's some gangster shit. Yeah. And so they knew that I was really committed to teaching them things that they weren't getting or haven't gotten. Right. And so that raised the, the respect level, I think. Not I think. I know it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my classroom was, you know, real, like, African, but there what, was it all black boys or was there any was there any Hispanic? Yeah, was there, there, any was white? yeah. There... There, there was it was uh, primarily uh, black. Uh, there were I did have some uh, <laughs> one one kid they called Mexico. I had some some um, you know Puerto Rican and Mexican. Um, not so many Mexican. It was like one or two. In New York, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it was mostly Puerto Rican, yeah, Puerto Rican and Dominican. And there was. Um, during the year that I was there, I had two white boys. Just two? Just two. And how did they take to your lessons? Um, one was really quiet. He was really traumatized. So he was a writer. By the experience? By his yeah, because he was, you know, he was in the slave ship. Mm-hmm. So a white boy in the slave, slave ship, can you like, imagine? How the fuck did I exactly, get here? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Oh, damn. Um, I didn't even think that's a that's, really interesting analogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was disoriented, and I just... I gave him a notebook and I just had him writing. He wrote some really powerful poetry. Mm. So that for me, that was my way of knowing you were keep, connecting, keep, knowing I was connecting and keeping him okay, keeping him okay at least while he was in my classroom. Mm. I didn't, mm. I couldn't, I couldn't protect him when he left the classroom. But I was like, okay, you're in my classroom. Everybody here, I'm gonna tap into what I see is their potential in their light. And this, this this white kid, he could write. So while you're in my classroom, I just want you to write. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because that's going to help you. It's just therapeutic and help you deal and help you kind of navigate and kind of download what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And he wrote some powerful shit. I put one of his poems in my book. Oh, damn. I got to look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In our research, <laughs> not in our research, but uh, we, we talked, okay, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, Khalif Broder, 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 Broder yeah, mm-hmm. who was at Rikers. I know you didn't know him or didn't no. teach him, but he got arrested when he was 16. There's a, do- Jay-Z did a documentary also on Netflix mm-hmm. about him. The Khalif Broder story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you guys, my angry black woman inside of me, I really pick and choose when I and I can partake in certain No, you have to, because, because it's self-care, because we also, can't... It, it, yeah, it, it's definitely self-care. We can't it walk around in a total rage. So, sometimes I feel bad, that I, sometimes I, I know I'm, I avoid shit, because I can be angry for, like, weeks. Someone, yes, actually, Sebastian came over two days ago, was like, have you seen the uh, R. Kelly document, the R. Kelly thing? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. He's like, you have to watch it, you have to watch it. And I was like, honestly, like... I, I don't think I, I don't have to watch it. Like, right. I know I've heard enough. Yeah. I've thought, I, I already know he's fucked up. I've been known he's fucked yeah. up. I'm so, I, I just don't need more, ne- like, it's just, there's already so much negativity surrounding black people, women, all those things. Like, I was like, I'm cool. Like, I, I told him, I was like, I've, had, I've seen enough shit that I don't need that to, like, also make me angry. But even that, like, watching that, I could watch because I was like mostly shocked. By I mean, this is different than like watching the like, Twelve Years a Slave or like you yeah, know what I mean. Because these like, are things that like 
He chose to be a weirdo. I mean, like, he didn't choose. I, I'm not, I know he had a fucked up childhood, and which is, you know, people don't, I don't, I told say this. Every day. People don't address that. People don't address that. And, I, and that's how I feel a lot about. Well, they did address it in, in the doc, in doc, documentary. I think the brother talked about. His molestation. His, his molestation. But what I mean, I mean like, like, the media doesn't address. Dress that he needed help. That he needed help. Of course, I'm not saying that he, he's Excuse. justified in what he did. Mm. But people never talk about why these people are the way they yeah, are. It's are just, hurt. They just demonize them and throw them away. And which you know that doesn't resolve. He, he deserves whatever's right. coming to him. But I hurt saying, people, hurt people. But when you hurt people, you have to be held accountable. Exactly. Right? Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so difficult to talk about because like you don't want to sound like you're supporting what he yeah, did. No. But you absolutely. also don't want. But you also need people to understand that like Where he was he, like a child once too, and whatever he he experienced led to this this person he's become this kind of monstrous person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to Khalif. Is is um, you're saying you haven't watched it probably because you yeah it's I, like enough I, yeah I get I get it gets it gets to me <laughs> um, but you got to know your threshold because self care is a revolutionary act yeah and, and and we have to stay charged up we have to stay um, that's empowered. why I like that download I like that as a term downloading mm-hmm. your your feelings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but he went to jail at 16 for supposedly allegedly stealing a backpack that he did not steal and he was there without a trial because he refused to plead guilty which in a lot of the like the ju- like the judicial system people mostly minorities go there they get pressured into pleading guilty because the thought of having to stay there longer to await trial is daunting anyway for two of the three years he was there he was in solitary confinement mm-hmm. which at is, 16 at 16 years old which at any age, I couldn't have imagined that. And he discusses, like, mice running up on him, not being able to go outside, being starved for days. And I was beat, what? Up. beat up by the prisoners. It's on camera. Beat up by the prisoners and, and the by inmates. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. and what I was going to ask you, um, so you see you get 25 students. I don't know how they chose get chosen to come to your class every day. Were there any point in your experience where somebody didn't show up for, like, for instance, if, if maybe he was supposed to be your student? And he didn't show up for two years. Like, is anyone questioning these, like, well, it's how does that because, work? Because um, when I was there, um, and uh, today, solitary confinement has been has been eliminated for adolescents. So that's recent. Um, that recently th- That's happened. recent. But when I was teaching and from 2008 to 2009, there was still solitary confinement, which on Rikers Island they called the Bing. So, and also, too, because I... I work in a jail, which is different from a prison. Mm-hmm. A jail is where you're you haven't been sentenced. Short they're, they're, term. And, and if you have been sentenced, it's under two years. So I had some kids who were sentenced for under two years, but the majority were not sentenced. So they were just awaiting. awaiting sentencing, or they were going back and forth, you know, to court to see what was going to happen. So their fate was still dangling, as opposed to prison, where you've been sentenced, you know what you're serving five years, six years, two years, whatever you know what that is. Mm-hmm. So jail, there's a lot of limbo and there's a lot of anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen to your life. And the kids who were sentenced were a little bit calmer because they knew. At least it's like, okay, I'm looking at 15 months. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there was that resolve. Right. Um, But most of the kids were not. So as a result, there were some kids who I didn't see for periods of time. 
um, because they were in the bing and they would come back and be like, yeah, I just did, you know, 90 days in the bing or 60 days in the bing, meaning solitary confinement. Sometimes they got moved to different housing areas, so I might see a kid who left or a kid might have a court date and then he got sentenced and they ship him upstate. So you never see him so again. So I never see him and again. And there's no goodbyes. Just right, no, exactly. You don't know what happened to them, how to get in contact with them. Exactly. So there's so in jail, there's a lot of, there's a transient population, so it's not steady. So mm-hmm. my classroom, my you know, it was, it was constantly shifting. So I had like a core group, but it was constantly shifting. Court dates, some got shipped upstate, you know, some got released, you know, when they went their next court date, they went home. Um, and some were in the bing, solitary confinement. So there was a lot of that, um, which made it even more challenging because I had a new kid. I got to, I'm doing it, I'm in the middle of a lesson. I've got to bring him up to speed, you know. So um, it was uh, challenging. What, I mean, I, when I was reading about, because I was like, I, I was trying to educate myself on, I, I, I kind of knew the difference between jail versus prison versus privately owned prison. Um, and I read something that said that basically jails sometimes or facilities are not kept up because there is such a transient, like, people are in and out. There's not, there's not like this need to house someone. And jails are city run. So, so, so you're going to the city jails. Prisons are primarily state-run. Right. So there's the, more the, the regulations state. and laws. Well, and I don't know if there's regulations and laws, but it, it's, sometimes it's just more more money. More you know? money. Yeah. So, so, that, so that's city what I was might reading. Be strapped, that, so they don't have any money. That's why I was reading. Like jails are a lot of jails are very their upkeep is very poor. So like what is was Rikers? What is like what is? Can you walk us through what Rikers Island is like? Is it? Is this it? This is like, dingy. It, I won't say it was. Well, I mean. For a prison, yeah, for, for jail, for jail um, it, it's it, it really smelled bad, and the reason why it smelled bad because it the island was is literally on um, like garbage, um, like a landmass of garbage. So wow. yeah, like a so, landfill, almost? like a landfill, exactly. Thank you. That was what I was looking for. So sometimes when I was coming over the bridge I'm sure on I the can't bus. Be toxic. It's very toxic. I, I developed a, a crazy cough when I was there for that year. And um, so sometimes all the garbage, like the garbage will kind of em, em, emit, like kind of like the, the land will fart. <laughs> so you literally smell, I would be on the bus and I'd be like, Yo, who the fuck just farted? And then I realized, oh, it's the landmass, yeah. the, the landfill, excuse me, that um, it smelled like uh, rotten eggs. Oh, so wow. you get like this the smell of rotten mm. eggs. So that's what the jail was sitting on. Mm. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the, the physical, you know, it, it was, you know, they, they mobbed and they, it was just dingy. You know, it wasn't a, a you know, bright place, but it wasn't decrepit. Mm-hmm. In your experience working with the kids there, did you have any, I mean, did you have any moments where, I mean, especially because working in a prison was so new, is, is newer to you, was newer to you at the time. Was there any experience where you met, a, met a, 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 a boy or I mean a young man and found out what his charges were, what he was going up against, and was like appalled? Is that was that something like a daily thing for you? Like you're here for what? Or did yeah. you ever get riled up and feel like I mean I, I feel like I feel like if I was there, I'd be like, how can I help? I gotta like 
you know, you try to this become your be own real. activist within there, mm-hmm. but like then you kind of, I'm sure you, at some point you feel defeated because there's such a big system in place that you kind of, you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. But like, was there any moment or any time or different like situations? Case that sticks out. Yeah, with like different kids throughout your time there that, Like what's know, the most ridiculous thing you've heard someone being there for? I mean, obviously like there's something like fucking, allegedly stealing a fucking backpack. You sit in solitary confinement for two years or three years. I'm sure you've heard crazy mm-hmm. shit too. Yeah, a kid who uh, jumped a turnstile, and so if you jumped a turnstile, and okay, if you jumped, if you jumped, jumped the turnstile, what does that mean? Like you, you, you York, don't pay for the, the subway. subway. Yeah. You don't pay yeah. for the subway, yeah, yeah. and so if um or like loitering or riding a your bike on the sidewalk, um, these are things they were in jail for. So let's say you have to pay a fine for that, right? You don't pay a fine. Now you don't pay the fine, so now you have to, you know, you have to show up in court and either, you know, say, I'm going to pay the fine or not pay the fine. Now if you don't go to court, if you don't show up to court for, let's say, riding your bike on the sidewalk, now you have a warrant out Mm. for missing that court date. So now I jump the turnstile, and you have a warrant. Now I have a warrant out. So now so the next I go to jail because I didn't go to court for riding my bike on the sidewalk and I jumped the turnstile. Now there's a warrant out, so now I've got to sit in jail. And possibly you're 16 and maybe your mom's not always present or doesn't know this happened. And so no one's even staying in your ass to remind you to go to court, which can very well happen to any teen. Or yeah. you're scared. Or you're scared. Too. You want to yeah. tell your fucking mom she doesn't have, you don't have the yeah, money. Yeah, and you're like, you're like, you know. I'm going to court for no fine, you know. Right. But yeah, sixteen, sixteen years old. You're not. You're a child. Right. You're not thinking. You're not taking the court seriously or like court date seriously because you were like, why am I even? Why are they even fucking with me for riding on the sidewalk in the project where I live? Mm-hmm. You like, know like, what I mean? I've been on. I've been riding on this sidewalk right. all my life. Right. I'm riding in the courtyard of of the housing project. Well, right. Get out of here! And they throw the you know the ticket out like right. that. You know what I mean? They're not, that, they're that not, they're not seeing this bigger right. picture that right. could possibly right. now. Now, you're, now I got to go to school. I don't have my my fare or whatever. I'm gonna go see my shorty. I don't have two seventy five. I jumped a turnstile. Whoop, come here, kid. And they run ID. Oh, you got a warrant out. You just showed the court. Up oh, now you're going to bookings. And now York, you're sitting in my class. New York police are like my least favorite police. Like every time I go, I'm like, ugh, ugh. They're always like overweight and sloppy and walking. Ugh. <laughs> Girl. I'm like, who the fuck hired you? You couldn't chase after me if you tried. They like, just have an attitude. I mean, New York is a joke. New Yorkers are a whole different. So they like, yeah. give the police officer power. <laughs> Literally. I mean, yeah, I, I, that's ridiculous. I mean, I think about my child and thinking about like how. Thinking about her, I mean, because I know there is a female population at Rikers. It's, it's very yeah, small. yeah, and I and I I, I work with the girls um, at Rose M. Singer, which is the female um, popu- which is the female facility at Rikers Island Rose M. Singer, and I work with the adolescent girls. When I not in that not as a full time school teacher, but I work with them when I was um, a reentry specialist. Mm-hmm. So I was working with an organization that worked with kids once they came home from jail to help them not recidivate, not go back to jail. And so part of that meant going to the jail. To talk to them, do workshops, create a relationship with them, right, and to let them know about the services available to them once they come home. So when they come home, they come with a, get linked up with the program mm-hmm. that helps them, you know, kind of Re- get back into school, back into the community. So help prevent them to mm-hmm. come back to jail. So one when, when I was a reentry specialist, I went to Rose M. Singer. I worked with the teenage girls and. <laughs> they were firecrackers. <laughs> them girls are firecrackers. So are they isolated from like? all male like I know like they're yeah, not no. I know I know they're not it, mixed it, together it, it, but Rose like, M. Singer is a totally different building so meaning the women the, the adult women and the adolescent girls mm-hmm. are in the same building which is a, a 
So, so Rikers Island has a bunch of different buildings, mm-hmm. right? So when you go into the island, I think there are like 11 different facilities, separate buildings. Bust to this building, bust to that building, bust to that building. Out of all of them, I think it was, I think it's 11 buildings, there's one building for women. that is just for women. Mm. And they keep, in that building, they keep the girls separate from the adults. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but some of the correction officers are still male. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was there a difference in interacting with the young women? Yes. Women? <laughs> oh my God, I love the girls. They're chatty catties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very emotional. Um, they cry a lot, you know, because they're. I don't know what it is about women. I guess it's socialization, but you know, we're able and more, um, you know, uh, nimble with talking about our emotions and talking about what has happened to us. Um, as opposed to, in terms of our pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, men are taught to be tough. Right. Don't, Don't cry. Exactly. Don't talk Not that it. that didn't happen. I had, I had, you know, um, had a lot of male tears, young boy tears, um, in my years of working at Rikers. But the girls, you know, I, I had to keep tissues because it was, you know, I was constantly big sister and I'm just crying on my shoulder, crying on my shoulder, you know, all the time. And what, and how does that affect you? Did you, did you have to make a conscious effort to not get emotional with them or were you were there ever moments where you kind of broke down with them or like yeah it's it's you, have to, you I know, know you have to kind of create a boundary you have to have some sort of boundaries i would assume yeah it, it's it's it was a real fine balance because um, i'm an empath too mm. so what's your sign i'm a libra oh okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so i would absorb you know i absorb their 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 emotion and their feelings and what they're what they're dealing with and, and their trauma so i had to learn how to manage the trauma that i was um you know trying to heal absorb, and absorb yeah. Yeah. and so um yeah i i would i wouldn't get emotional i was very um i didn't want to lean and I, I didn't want to encourage their woundology so it was it was a real tricky balance I, woundology, I, woundology. so woundology um is a term that i learned from one of my mentors um renee wilson who was a, a clinical psychologist who was out there black woman she was fierce at Rosam Singer, but woundology basically means that if we all have wounds, we've all been wounded in our lives at, at, at some point, right? Whether whether it's family, whether it's you know some trauma, something. We we all have a wound that we carry, mm-hmm. and these girls at Rikers, they are wounded, um, and so sometimes woundology means you just talk about your wound and and you identify with your wound and your wound becomes your identity. Mm. So it's always about your wounds, your wounds, your wounds, your wounds. And so it's necessary to talk about your wound because you have to give it air for it to heal. But when it becomes your um, right when it becomes your your your, your total identity mm. and who you are in your center. So I had so my job was to listen for them to air the wound but not to let them languish in the woundology and say okay, well Look at what you've survived. Look at who you are. Look at how far you've come. Look how strong you are. What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Who do you see yourself as? You know, and to, and, and to get them to see their strength and their purpose and their vision beyond the wound. Yeah. So it's a balancing act because it's not about ignoring or disregarding the wound, but it's not, at the same time, I didn't want them to languish in it and identify themselves as wounded it. people. I mean, shit, that... That whole concept is not exclusive to people incarcerated. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, or for just teenagers. Absolutely. Right. I Absolutely. mean, I, just thinking and talking about that reminds me of someone very close to me in my life who is definitely identifies 
themselves by their wound. And I like that word so much better than what is it like victimize? Oh no, is it is that the same word like when you when you when you, when you have the victim, victim all the time? Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like, but I like wound because I think vi- playing victim um, kind of takes away from whatever the wound is, mm-hmm. and, and saying victim kind of leaves you in like. And victim gives, I think, more power to the person who. To, who, who, who victimized you, who did it to you. Yeah. Where, Where the wound, wound is like, I, I've been hurt. You're taking responsibility for, for your wounds. Right, exactly. And now I'm sort of separate from that, that from that person, and now I'm going to heal whatever mm-hmm. the wound is. Yeah. yeah. Was there ever, like, I'm sure, like, like I asked you before we started recording, like, how did you, like, so how do you separate um, work from your personal, like, was there ever a time, or many times, I'm sure, I mean, I would imagine that you come home after heavy. like a heavy day at work and you have to just unload like was there anything in particular like was there any one experience in particular that kind of has always stayed with you um or that like kind of surprised you or like, a relationship that maybe you developed with one of your students that you know maybe well well self well self-care for me was really challenging because i'm an empath mm-hmm. um and because i'm a healer so it's my nature to to absorb and to listen and to want to heal and nurture. So mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a nurturer by mm-hmm. nature. Um, you might which have is some it, cancer with, undertones in there. I I I, I, I have a Gemini mm-hmm. Moon Cancer Rising. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that's yeah. why we get along well. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm Libra with a Cancer Moon. I mean, excuse me, with Gemini Moon Cancer Rising. And I think I'm a Libra Rising. Oh, I think we talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so because I'm a nurturer. Uh, it's very difficult for me to, it's very easy for me to give, 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 to nurture, nurture, nurture. So even though I don't have children of my own that came from my womb, I was, it's like my, you know, I was constantly full and just like feeding, 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 nurturing, nurturing, nurturing other people's children standing in the gap for their mothers when their mothers couldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So um, that self-care was difficult for me. So, you know. I like weed and red wine, and I, you know, I, I self-medicated, um, which... Do you want to smoke? Huh? <laughs> Do you want to smoke? Uh-uh. <laughs> no, I don't smoke anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wank, wank. Wank, wank. But, um, but yeah, you know, exercise, going to the gym, talk to my girlfriends, you know, um, just... Journaling. Journaling. Yep, 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 yep. Um, that was kind of my way. I just kind of figured it out on my own, and I wasn't necessarily successful at it because I was depressed a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is there any- I, I, it, it, was, it was heavy. I carried it with me, and I thought about them. I took the work home with me, you know? How can you not? Mm-hmm. How can you not? You know, that's, I, I can't imagine not thinking about those, like going home, going home, and you're like, damn, I got to leave you here. I gotta leave this here, you know. Yeah. You're going home, and who knows what you're facing when you go back to your cell, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, speaking of you, like, did you never want kids, or do you think this experience taking on all these young children, like young kids, did that influence how you, like, you wanting to have kids at all? No, no. Um, you know, the the mother and me. You know, there there are different um, forms of motherhood. You know, you can be a mother physically and give birth, you know, from from your womb um, and be a mother. And you can also be a mother, a spiritual mother. Um, And so I've been a spiritual mother to hundreds of children um, of young people. And 
I, you know, I, for me, that, that I took that shit really seriously. seriously. Like, you know, going to court when I wasn't in that capacity, but when I was a reentry specialist, you know, I was doing shit like going to court every court date for some of my kids. And I called them my kids, like showing up, sitting in the courtroom all day, talking to the judge, advocating on their behalf, setting up meetings with the fucking DA to talk to the DA, like, to, to, the human, to humanize the kid that yeah, I'm advocating it's for. It's not just another statistic. Exactly. It's not just another head, so, another number. Yeah, you know, I mean, who sits in the courtroom and shows up to court all day? Like, but that's somebody's my mother. mother. Exactly. Yeah. So I've, I've been a mom to a lot of, a lot of these kids. I salute you for that, and I appreciate that. You know, like, so many kids get, get lost in the system, and so many kids' parents aren't educated enough to assist or not. You know, there's just so... Oh, they're working, and, you know, yeah, they, they can't should. take off to sit in the courtroom because kids. they got to feed the kids. The or rest they, of the other kids, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Or like, pay this lawyer. Or, right, and, and, and it's funny that you, that you said that because we had another friend who's an author also, um, Nicole Russell... Russell, uh-huh. who was on a previous episode, and she's she's Erica's friend. She's around the same age as us, and I'm sure it's like so. You know, as women in general, there's this bullshit like, why don't you have any kids yet? Why don't you have any kids yet? Like that's our only fucking duty in life is to like give lay down and give birth. <laughs> um, and she was saying the same thing. You know, she she also is a part of a nonprofit that focuses on the youth, and she's like, I I I've consciously made the decision that I'm gonna give my mothering to the kids who who need it, who don't have it, or you know, and so that's that's a huge huge thing. You know that. It's obviously needed in society, so that's I, I commend you for you know your active duty contributing mm-hmm. to those mm-hmm. those souls and those people and who look, need my, you. Look, my life is still being curated, so who knows what God has in plan exactly. for me? Do you right. know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, you know. Would you have kids of your own? Would I? Yeah, I would if 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 it was the right situation. Situation, yeah. Okay. Right, you know. Uh, partner, that's mm-hmm. that's important for me. You, know? uh, you think? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I mean, Absolutely. so I, you know, I, you know, man, life is so interesting mm-hmm. and life is so complex and layered. And I've always been um, a woman who's lived outside of the box, outside of the norm, outside of social, you know, uh, traditions. traditions. My, my entire life, I mean, you know, taking my play in 35 different prisons and working in prison for 20 years and being a, a you know, a model and living in Paris and traveling the world and going to Africa and Asia and India. I mean, my life has been, you know, full and I'm still curating it. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what this next chapter that how my life is going to be curated um, but I know that it's going to be atypical and it's not going to follow the norms of, you know, what society says women should do. And listen, I don't, you know, I'm curating my life and God, I should know. Let me take that back. God is curating my life. I'm just living the, it. I'm just the museum. God is saying, okay, now it's time for this painting and now we're going to have this sculpture. And, um, so who knows what, uh, will be uh, presented in my life, but um, I'm open to all kinds of possibilities, you know? I may meet a man who already has children, or I, you know, I mean, who, who, who fucking knows? knows? I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> Isn't that the most beautiful part about life, though? It is. Like, everything is so intentional and so random, but intentional and perfect. Like, just like us having this conversation, I was like, when I was like 15, I saw your show, and I was moved by it then. But obviously didn't take it seriously then, even though I had an intention to. And I, and I said, t- like, eight years ago, I'm going to do this class. And then now, right here, right now, it, you know, you're here in L.A., yeah. and I got to see your show again. 
again last year, and it's just so intentional. And even though that that, that planted a seed a fifteen seed. Yeah, years right. ago, Look at that. and it took this long to cultivate, or you know, like or just meeting. I mean, not, yeah, meeting Erica and finding those friends. And and I live in LA, so it's yeah. not like some distant foreign thing. But it's just so perfect how things are aligned for you, and even you being here and. You've been always who you are, and it's very out of the box, very, this is who the fuck I am, and I don't have to go any certain path. And even us starting this podcast, that is very much birthed in that we don't have to be a certain type of mother, and we can still be mm, good moms. That's you know? right. Mm-hmm. It's so lovely to just, like, you know, have a tribe here. Yeah. <laughs> Find your tribe, and they gravitate towards that's you, it. and it blossoms beautifully. That's so true. Um, what, do you have any more questions on your... No. Mine were, no. Um, I wanted to tell what happened to him, but I really have to pee. Can we pause for two seconds? Yes. Six. (laughs) Okay, sorry, I'm back. A very small bladder. Um, Well, I was asking... um, Lisa, before our break, or during our break, um, if she has had any, if she kept in contact with any of her students, and, um, you know, what are some of the successes that have come out um, of your your journey and experience at Rikers Island? Because, I mean, it, we could talk about the darkness and the negativity all day, but I think there needs to, like, we need to shed some light on, like, some of the things that, the positive things that, you know, have happened, so... Can you share anything like that with us? Yeah, I had one of my uh, students. He got out. He went upstate. He got out, and he got his associate's degree, and now he's in college in Georgia. I think he's going to Georgia State University. Um, so, there, I mean, there are a lot of success stories. Um, and, you know, even though it's a dark place, there was a lot of light in that dark place. I mean, my students were hilarious, they were funny, they were vibrant, they weren't, you know, sad and, and, and dejected and demoralized. There's, there's they were youthfulness in them. So. so there's a resiliency with, with youth. And they brought that to the classroom. They were, you know, and there were moments when you saw that they were depressed and they were heavy and, you know, I would let them sit and sleep in the classroom in the back. But for the most part, they were just normal, <laughs> adolescent, you know, I called them my rugrats. Because mm-hmm. they were just like... Little gremlins, mm-hmm. just you know, high, oh, off, high off of sugar, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? And and Jamila, you know, she had asked me today when we were, you know, getting ready for you to come, um, how, you know, speaking about like, you know, police brutality and engaging with police officers in this very like high tension time. Mm. How how she said if you had a boy, how would you, you know, talk to him about? law enforcement like what do you do if you get pulled over and I told her well it's not exclusive to boys I have a daughter who's black and Mm -hmm. I I would have to have the same conversation with her yes men are I think more targeted than women are Um, I mean obviously look at the the statistics yeah Mm -hmm. clearly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I still have to have that conversation with her because she needs to know too what if she's in a car with a black boy you know who doesn't? Who, whose parent? Whose parent didn't have this conversation with them? Right. You know what I mean? Or alone? Look Absolutely. Sandra Bland. So she mm-hmm. needs. That's right. And she and she was just a black woman driving through Texas. Just, right. just got a job. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you know, I was like, I don't, I don't know how I would have that conversation with her. I mean, I think having conversations like this kind of like make me 
obviously think about it more, but I, I, I think, you know, I want her to know that not, not all police officers are, are bad people, but, you know, they're human, and when you give a human power to kind of do as they will, shit can go wrong. And on top of it, black bodies, brown bodies are not as valued as white bodies in this world, subconsciously and consciously. You know, and I think that's where the conversation starts is really how do you, and this is the challenge of being an educator, how do you take something that's so complex and you dissect it down to its roots so it's um, digestible. digestible. So how do, you unpack, how do you unpack white supremacy to a kid mm-hmm. so that they understand what that is because that's what they're being faced with. Even, I don't care if you're a black officer, a white officer, or a Latino officer, they're still working in the system of white supremacy, supremacy. and they're upholding that system. And what is that system, and how does it affect their consciousness, and how do they see you in that system through that lens of white supremacy, which is less than, which is, you know, demonized, which is, you know, um, threat, enemy, which is historical. So how do you unpack that for mm-hmm. a child so that they understand what white supremacy is? Because, you know, Neely Fuller, who is, um, you know, uh, a great, um, you know, uh, philosopher, um, he said that if you don't understand white supremacy, every other thing around you will confuse you. So, yeah. If you don't understand white supremacy, if you don't understand like, white supremacy everything else will confuse you. Yeah, there's a lot Then you'll be lies. confused Unless about you're everything white. else. Unless, of course, you're white. I mean, obviously, I don't really have to have this conversation with her right now. Of course. You know, but you start dropping little, you start, I think you kind of, like, even she asked me the other day, and she was like, um, she asked me something about race. and She said race? Like, something about, like, black and white, Mm -hmm. like, mommy. And I was just like, oh, my God, how do I explain this? It's like, without, like, I I don't want to, like, like, I don't want her to have, be tainted and think, like... She's different or... Not even different. It's just, like, that there's so much bad in it, like, bad shit in the world. Like, I want her to be optimistic and hopeful. <laughs> Look at me. In a way. To keep that hopefulness in her. Like, knowing... I, I can't lie to her and say, yeah, baby, like, racism is going to end one day. <laughs> you know? But I want her to know that there's people... There's people working towards creating a better world for people like us. You and know? you can contribute to and that. And you can contribute world, to yeah. that in some way. And there and you should and but then, you know, it's like, well why should I contribute if it's never gonna end? You know, it's like I then I think about I, 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 I don't like to say things like that. I never say never. I never say it's never gonna end. I never say you like one person probably can't change this big system. I don't believe in that. I feel like if everybody has an attitude, nothing will change. You right. know what I mean? Like so so like if we all said fuck it, it's too big of a it's too big of a mountain to plow that mountain's just gonna grow. But if we all have the attitude, like, let's get in the dig deeper and figure this shit out, let's talk about it, mm-hmm. then eventually, hopefully, you know, those mm-hmm. things end. And then I also asked you, um, what, did you remember having a talk? Like, did you remember being told, no. like, shit's unfair? <laughs> Be nervous when you get pulled over, because we were both thinking. Like, I wasn't raised by a black person, you know? Mm-hmm. My mother is Latina, and, you know, she's encountered her bouts of racism. But nowhere near. And like, your mom, she's Latina, but she—if I just saw her walking, I could think maybe she could. She could be Latina. She could be. People like, think she's Middle Eastern. Yeah, all. white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I've, not white, but Middle Eastern. White. Yeah. Um, but so those were talks I never really had. It wasn't until I started encountering my own shit that I and, and me being a light skinned black woman. I mean, I, I of course I, my my um, experience my experience is different than yours, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm I'm well aware of that. 
but I have encountered things and mm. not being educated on it was very confusing for me. Mm. So it was like, it was never brought up. No, not really. Because I think I, I posted something a while, a while back. I think it was the doll thing. Like, do you, how do you feel oh, about right. letting your. I forgot the name of that test. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I talked about that test, mm-hmm. but I said, I don't, I tell all my friends, and it, it's another thing, <laughs> about, I'm like, don't get my, doll, my kid images that don't look like her. And I, I see that, like, my friends that aren't black don't really take it as seriously because I don't think they understand to the level, like, how, how big it is. But, like, Fuck, what was I about to say? Well, because there's our kids are, are, are daily are, are blasted with what European beauty standards are. Like, that's we're good on that. Yeah, like, like that's, we have enough still, of those images. But it's not enough. Like, they're, they're always going to be there. So therefore, if I can at least get my daughter to, like, have some dolls that look like her or, like, have some movies that look like her, we can balance it out in some way. Because inevitably... It's, she's going to be influenced in some way by yeah. that. I mean, now it's so funny because beauty standards are shifting and now it's cool to have big lips and now it's mm-hmm. cool to have, you know, a big ass mm-hmm. or, you know, cor- like braided hair, ethnic hair. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, but who, long, who knows how long that trend's going to last? Right, right, right. And, and, and even though it's cool to have those things, it's still not that, I mean, it's cool to like the black culture, but is it cool to be, like, it, there's, and, and a lot of times, funny as fuck as it is, like, obviously, like, we're being more celebrated right now as black women, but have you really noticed that, like, our attributes are being celebrated more on non-black women? Than right, than on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's a whole different fucking feat. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I forgot. But I want to go I back think, to, I sorry, think, uh, so just to, to kind of to jump in um, where to start, I, I, I would probably start before having that conversation, and this is taking the page out of my parents' book, how I was raised. I was raised to love my culture, black culture. Mm-hmm. So that was infused in me, like, early. who I, early in the household, you know, um, Known about Frederick Douglass and known about, you know, um, just, you know, Malcolm X and knowing about my African history and, you know, my father just, who was very, very dark skinned and my mother who was very, very light skinned. So colorism was not in my household because both my parents were gorgeous and they were both at extreme ends of, you know, the, the, the color spectrum. So... It was, you know, black beauty and black pride and, you know, loving being black was something that was... From the beginning. From the foundation. So by the time, you know, we talked about or race was being talked about, it wasn't like, ooh, a negative. It was like, oh, we're so fierce and this is why they're hating on us. (laughs) This is why they're hating on you. Mm -hmm. So this is why you have to be careful and this is how you have to deal with them. This is how you have to, you know, um, this is before, what was it called? Code switching. My dad taught me about code switching. Oh, damn, I never heard of that. Yeah, code switching is like, you know, we we speak a certain different way when white people enter the room. Hey, how you doing? Yes, okay. Uh Uh-huh, thank you. We put on our court voice, right? (laughs) And then Susan, girl, let me tell you what happened, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's the code switch. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? So my father did that all the time. You know, he'd be in the kitchen talking to us and talking about race and, you know, niggas this and crackers this. And, you know, he would just be, you know, my, my dad was very, very much like your father, very unfiltered when it came to race. And the phone would ring and be a white person on the phone. And we would know instinctively that he was talking There's to a, a white, white person. On the other line. Hey, Jim, how you doing? <laughs> and, and it was just this thing. Mm-hmm. And so we learned, oh, that's how you navigate whiteness in the world as a black person. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, 
Um, those are just some of the things that, you know, were rooted in me. And um, Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> it was. It was I like, mean, it's just crazy that we have to learn how to theater. navigate in, in, our, in the world and then know how to, like, shut it down and bring it back up when it's necessary. And, yeah. the, and the fucked up part about it is, it's like, not to say that it's not okay to be who you are at all times, but if I come and talk to you in my black girl voice... You may not hear the message correctly. You're not going to hear what the fuck I'm saying because you're so stuck in how I'm delivering. Delivering. It. It. Right, right, right. And that's why it's important. And it's really not about diluting ourselves, but basically speaking a different language. Mm-hmm. So right, I'm being correctly. bilingual. Yeah, being <laughs> bilingual. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Even though I never had a label for like code switching, I knew. And I do it all the time. Me too. Right, we all, but instinctively, I do it we do all it. the time. Right. And I almost to the point where, and this is. Like, if I'm in a certain, like, say I'm in a high-end store, and, I, oh, my God, I was with my girlfriend and this young-ass guy she was dating. We, they wanted to go on, he went to go in the Louis store or something. And um, he said, said this to the clerk, like, how much this is right here? And I literally cringed in my skin. Like, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm hitting the exit. Like, I can't be seen with you in this. Like, I just, you know, and it annoyed me. He didn't right. code switch. He didn't code switch. He didn't code switch. He didn't right. even know he And there's a value it. in that, too. But, you know, so it's a double-edged sword. It is. It is. And, and, and even, like. He didn't care. He didn't give a fuck, right. which is fine too. There's, exactly. It's actually kind of beautiful. It it's, is. It's very it is. beautiful. And you know what I, I noticed when I went to school down south, because I am so good at culture music, and I think I almost I don't want to say this anymore, but prided myself in the ability to do that mm-hmm. because you're gonna know I'm not just some you you're gonna know you can't fuck with me because you know I'm educated and I know how to talk to you right. where you're gonna understand me. However, I found that when I you know, when I went to school down south and I was like talking to certain people, I got fucked up and mixed up like because their accents were so deep and their slang was so hard that I associated that with being uneducated when in fact that was not the case. Mm, but mm. they didn't feel the need to code switch in certain environments, which in some ways is 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 admirable. Right. Because we shouldn't have to talk exactly. a certain way to not die or to get right. respect or to, right. to not be labeled as uneducated. And I had to like re reprogram myself to think like how ignorant am I mm-hmm. to, to, to think that who the fuck do I think I am? Right. You know, right. I'm not the smartest bitch ever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that that's a part of being black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is most definitely a part of our experience. Like, we have to learn how to navigate in both worlds. And then there's been times I went back home to Philly and my cousin's like, why are you talking so white? Why you talk like that? Mm. Is everybody skinny like that? Like, I'm like, this ignorant bitch. <laughs> you know? But it's just, you know, it's just what I, how I was taught to code switch even though I didn't realize I was code switching. Mm, mm-hmm. And I was even talking to Erica and before we, I came back from the, uh, the bathroom, um, as being as outspoken as we are and who and and how much we advocate for being authentic and being who the fuck we are and, you and know, raising little girls girl to do the same you still kind of have to in some ways um, unfortunately unfortunately reconfigure in certain situations and I even said like what if we did know our rights what if like mm. the kids were like oh I'm sorry sir like so, a police officer. Yeah, sorry, officer. Line. That's against amendment, da da da, and, and codes too sick. Then they're like, oh, this bitch thinks she knows some shit. Mm-hmm. They could go either way. Yeah. But yeah. you even have to tell your kids, like, maybe you need to let them, know, let them know you know all their shit that they don't know because that could be read incorrectly too. Telling your kid to basically dumb themselves down, mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. themselves smaller to make sure that whoever is in. That you get out of the situation. Outside of that car pulling you over doesn't feel intimidated mm-hmm. by you right. or less than inferior to you because. That insecurity in itself is dangerous. Mm. That insecurity gets people killed. That insecurity gets 
you roughed up, got Sandra yeah. killed, got, yeah. a, lo- got yeah, a lot of right. people killed. That's so right. it's just funny. Yeah, it's funny that we want to raise our kids to be strong black, Queen. black queens and kings, but then when faced with you know that type of authority, you ask them to kind of tone it down. And I probably would ask her to do that because I, I know you know me. I'm sassy as fuck. Police officer pulled me over. I'm like, yes, sir. Hello. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm gonna. I'm, I'll be reaching over now to open my glove department. Yeah. You see that I'm reaching over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you That's it's real. it just sh- shifts. You would think I'm the most meekest woman that you've ever met because I'm not. When I was telling Jamila, when I see a police officer, and I, I she asked me, I asked her actually, when was. When was the defining moment when, like, seeing an officer was no longer, like, safety? That you became, like, scared? And, like, I was, I was thinking, like, when I see a police officer driving down the street, I'm, I don't think, oh, I feel safe. I think, oh, shit, what am I doing wrong? Wait, yeah. got to make sure. Make sure I'm driving okay. Okay. My, my window's okay. And I was like, when, what moment in my life did I understand that not all police officers offer safety? Mm-hmm. And I was telling her, I actually did remember. It's when my, my father was pulled over. And my dad had a really nice sports car. My dad had a very nice car. And I remember, I was like, we're on our way to church, actually. And I was probably about five. And he was getting pulled over, and he was pissed. And I didn't understand. He was like, what the fuck? This is bullshit. And he, and like, he was cursing a lot. And then I remember him saying, it's because I'm black. It's because I'm black. I'm driving this car. And I didn't, under, like, I didn't really understand. And the police officer came, fucking with him. I could, and I knew my, and I knew who my dad was, and I knew he hadn't done anything wrong. Maybe he had like his windows were tinted like too much. I think that's what it was. Um, mm-hmm. And then we pulled away, and to see how angry he was and scared, mm-hmm. essentially, like let me know, like, oh, should I be scared of the police? Mm-hmm. And I think that was that defining moment for me because because I wasn't raised by my father, I was raised by my Latina mother, like, those were not conversations I had. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, police are cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even my daughter had, like, daughter goes to school and they have, like, these days where the fire department comes or the police officers come. She, they, Her teacher sent me a picture of her with a group of police officers <laughs> and I was like, ooh. Like, something in me made me, like, go, ooh. Like, I wasn't <laughs> like, oh, it's a police day. Like, and I'm like, what? That's so fucked up that I live in, in this mm. world and I'm like, <laughs> I'm scared. I, I don't associate it with safety at all anymore. Right. I mean, and I'm not to say all police officers are bad because I, and that's something I want her to know right. too because I know they aren't. Right. That's and so I'm true. sure even you, like working in the facility you did with like correctional officers and different types of you know people in positions to kind of correct things, yeah. you meet good people. Absolutely. And like people that are there too because they are care. Mm-hmm. And it gets so diluted by all the bad shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean. And then I know you've had a different experience, whereas your 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 parents always taught you like fuck the pigs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I've always it's always been fuck the pigs. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, I'm definitely Malcolm X, not Martin. Well, your middle name is Asada. My middle name is Asada. So yeah. there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I don't know if I've always felt fear, but n- definitely not aid. Definitely not, you know, like, oh, I'm safe. The, the police are here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, honestly, subconsciously, there have been times I've probably maybe been walking alone and a black couple, group of black guys walk by and I'm thinking, oh, shit. And I'm like, damn. 
or like, hmm, I've never seen that black person in my building before. <laughs> what is he doing over here? And I'm like, damn, bitch, even you, even you're subconsciously fucked up. <laughs> you know, not, and, but same goes for, I've been in the airport and I see like a shaved head, really militant, military looking white guy. I'm like, oh, he's probably fucking racist as fuck. And he's steady trying to help me in the airport. You know, I got the baby and he's like, here, let me help you. He, he got mad at me. Like, I keep trying to help you. I'm like, oh, okay, well, just help me then. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. And I have to continuously check right. myself. Like, you made an mm-hmm. assumption about this person and you have no fucking clue. That's these so people true. are you know because you and, and it goes the subconsciously it goes so many ways mm-hmm. you know so true but then also like just saying on the gender you know raising uh, young boys and raising young black girls you know the fucked up part is like you said it doesn't matter and even in um that recent case where the, oh my god this shit breaks my heart but um in st louis where the the, the cop oh tamir rice <laughs> mm-hmm no, no, not Tamir Rice, not the kid. When he was in the passenger seat, the cafeteria worker. Got, oh, Philando Castile. Philando Castile got shot on Facebook Live in front of his four-year-old child and his girlfriend. And it's like, damn, the cop didn't even look in the back seat and think, oh, there's a child in the car. And what if the bullet went through the seat or like, damn, this could be that person's parent. Like, it, even our children don't matter. To some people, and some of those people are in in you know positions of authority, and that's fucked up. And like you said, we're just everyone's human, but it's just it's just a lot. <laughs> Sorry, yes. I, it, that's this is one thing that I'm very passionate about, and I try not and like I try not to get too deep into it because I can come off very dark, and I'm really not that type of person. I'm very in love and in light, but this particular these kind of topics, yeah are so dark and so barbaric and so fucked up. It's barbaric. And That's it's, the perfect word it's for it. It's so barbaric and it's taken place over such a long course of history. And because it's, white supremacy is terrorism. It is. It's, it's white like, supremacy is terrorism. Own, white supremacy is barbaric. And to be at the constant, you know, receiving end of barbaric terrorism on our bodies and our communities. In the place it does you actually something live. To us. Yes. It does and, and, and to not us. to mention ancestral trauma you know like our eggs are our eggs our whole lives which means I had my Luna in my body before which means my mother had her her egg in her body before. like we've we've been here through all of this and so there's so much hurt I'm so hurt by it I'm so well I'm convinced that's why black women have a higher rate of fibroids is because we're carrying um Jeanette uh what is it called um um, cellular trauma from all of the sexual assault well, from our ancestors from when they were rape farms on plantations. I've literally had situations, encounters where I'm like making out with like a white guy and I get like, oh, maybe I was really high that day. <laughs> and I'm getting like a flashback. Like, of, Oh my God, I've had the same experience. <gasps> you yes. yes. I thought I was fucking tripping. Flashbacks of like like a like a white slave owner or something like me too <gasps> yes I've I've had, like, I, like, I had that experience I, like, I thought it was me I thought I was like okay I'm, girl, I'm like, you are tri- really oh my god I'm so happy I almost didn't say this I, I tried to explain this to you one day and I'm like this sounds crazy but literally situation it was like going back and forth like it was that person but then I would see like like a like a slave owner and it was that part but like maybe just, I don't know and it just started to trip was me up. he the slave owner or was yes like, wow and I was like what the fuck am I doing and I was like okay I gotta go <laughs> you know this is not working out for me no yeah. I don't want to keep going I'm good yeah and I'm like and I and it was wow. literally just like going back and forth wow and I'm like am I fucking tripping right now but no now I know I'm not yeah no I, I had that experience once dating years ago um, this white dude 
and we walked by, we were just going out for brunch, you know, and we walked by a window, you know, you see a reflection. And when I saw my reflection, I had that flash. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and it was, and I was like, okay, you are tripping. But I was not the same in that relationship. And after I was just, that. After that, wow. I was like, my ancestors are, are like, are fucking they, with are, they are like, we are not having this daughter. We're not having <laughs> and this not, daughter. And not to say that I have had, I've, I've dated more than one white guy. I mean, yeah, I, right, I, don't, I don't discriminate. Right. But just in that particular yeah. situation, yeah. it was like, yeah. ooh, I can't really do this. Mm. And I'm not saying like that's to say Absolutely. like I'm not allowed from my ancestral trauma. but Because there's so much trauma that has not been unpacked and that this country has refused to address and deal with so and yeah. people want to have the conversation all the time you know get over it get over it you've come so far you have equal rights now but it's like we can't even discuss that until we fix all of this shit that brings us right here there's so much self-hate there's so much you know just hate within the community there's so much miseducation there's so much no education mm-hmm. there's just no like literally and this is my biggest thing literally in the states our our history taught about ourselves begins in slavery mm-hmm. period exactly mm-hmm. we, that's problematic that's problematic when you learn about First of all, we get the month of February. Oh, happy Black History Month, everyone. <laughs> the shortest month of the year. And it's like, mm, slavery, slave ships, uh, Abraham freed you, Malcolm, uh, no, we didn't talk about Malcolm X. Martin Luther King, he had a dream, March 1st. Well, here's here's the thing. To, to that point, I had a co-worker um, who I worked with who was a militant um, and brother, brother X, Shout out Brother X if you're listening. He said to me, and I thought that was so brilliant, because A, I, I believe and I know that education has been colonized. So when you have the sons and daughters of our former slave masters teaching our children, they're not teaching them to be free, they're not teaching them the true history of of, of, of what of what of who we are. And the kings Would you let your captivator and... educate your children? Exactly. It makes so, absolutely no sense. Right, exactly. So um, therein lies why you know there's so much um, miseducation and lies. ignorance about who we are as a people, who they are, mm-hmm. and who we've been together in this you know American experiment and interruption of our you know evolution. It's an American fucking experiment, but you know, jokes on you, bitches. And it's, and, it's, and it's also an infection. I, I believe white supremacy is an infection. It is, because it's easier to just go along with it, especially if it benefits And you. it's infected, and it affects white people, and, and we've been infected. infected. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're suffering, and we're suffering. So until white supremacy is unpacked and dealt with, I think that we will be constantly dealing, asking questions. But... Um, how did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> we are like deep in a rabbit hole yeah. somewhere. <laughs> but anyway, if you have any questions about where to begin your journey knowing yourself and knowing this system, and you're in the D.C. area. <laughs> oh, yes. Come see the Peculiar Patriots. I will be performing at Woolly Mammoth Theater uh, the almost the entire month of April in Washington, D.C. Oh, that's so cool. No, and seriously, literally, I, I've seen it. And if you are in the D.C. area... Um, Siobhan, all my friends that I know, I'm going to tell Lauren. the word. You have to go see this show. It's it's epic. Oh, thank it, it's, you. It's, it's, it's inspiring. It's moving. It's educational. And um, it's something I think everybody should see, definitely. Uh, and you're amazing. Oh, thank you. Um, 
Do you have anything to add? No, I think that's it. Thank you so much for taking the time to come here and talk to Thank us you. and let us pick your brain and ask you all types of questions. And it's been a I'm great just, conversation. Yeah, I'm so happy and I'm really excited to see your show. I can't wait Tuesday. to see it on yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. glad you're coming. Really, really and this excited. is a new show you haven't seen. I know I haven't seen this one, so I'm excited yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell us your Instagram and your website again. Oh, so my Instagram is Liza Jesse Peterson, L-I-Z-A, Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E, <laughs> Peterson. And my website is LizaJessiP.com. And the book is All Day, and you can find it on Amazon? Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and on my website. All right. <laughs> um, and Lisa is going to um, take us out of this episode with a poem? Poetry? I'll do an excerpt of, I'll, I'll do an excerpt of um, a Black Love Manifesto. Okay. Okay. So please, whenever you write, wait, hold on, let me get the, let me make sure the children sh- <laughs> shut the F-U. Hey guys, can you be quiet for like 30 seconds? Okay. She's off to do a poem. <laughs> They're like, what? They're like, quiet. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> this episode, oh my God, it's like children screaming in the background the whole time. But That's hilarious. Welcome to Good Moms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. And this is your first time joining. This is this happens. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right? 50% of the time. <laughs> Probably like 90, Real world. 90% yeah. of the time. Oh my God. He's got both of them on his back. That's hilarious. I mean, except we have babysitters with currently. Normally, it's just them playing by themselves. Oh my God. So they're interrupting constantly, 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 which... It's real. I, it's real. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's real. I know we get we, we do get we do get a uh, reviews like oh, that's great, but I really couldn't take the kids in the background. I'm like you don't have any kids yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then some people love it, but oh, let's wait for the plane to pass. Okay, so whenever you oh like to okay, go, please All right. go. This is this is an excerpt from a longer piece, um, but this is um, short. Okay. Okay. Blue, black, brown, baby, buckshot, shorty, rock. Melanated Prince King kissed by the sun with your solar-blessed skin sculpted like a god, master crafted in my womb, first womb, ancient womb, safe and sacred womb, African fertile soil, black gold diamond oil, mineral rich. Mama me, I, she, I, we, we stirred you up good, boy. You, potent, powerful, wonder warrior of the world. You, who always had the planet head nodding to your beat, got the globe axis leaning and tilted like your hat, call it black swag, black cool, cat daddy funky blues, rock jazz juke joint, sugar shack sanctified, negroid crunk type of stank funk uh, type of monster 808 on the microphone check, one, two, one, two type of boom to the back. The boom bap. Soulful genius encoded in your DNA. Divine nappy archives coiled in your hair. The creator's rhythm love child, a natural heir, the planet rock. As poetry somersaults out your mouth. Your slang is slung around the world. What you say, how you say it. What you wear, how you wear it. How you do it, urban hot coo it. It's showtime, Olympic ghetto gymnastics, double back flipping to it. A one-handed handstand pop lock Harlem shaking to a Ronda Jean pirouette and shell toe Adidas on crowded moving subway cars to Brooklyn. World-class concrete symphonies, underground ballet for a dollar donation. You was born with it, baby. Look at my arm. Oh, I have this Wow, wow. And that's an excerpt. That amazing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. This thank has you been such a pleasure. Thank so much you. fun. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. 
And thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, make sure to follow us at goodmoms underscore badchoices, and uh, visit uh, us online at www.goodmomsbadchoices.com. And uh, subscribe to our uh, mailing list. Oh, subscribe to our mailing list. Subscribe to the podcast. We're also on YouTube. And if you like this episode, uh, feel free to uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Adios. Bye, don't know why they want to profit from your demise. They lie to cover up a way they are inside. Oh, baby, baby, don't you cry. Oh, you got your.